Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a peak performance coach, spiritual teacher, and expert on human understanding and potential. He is a mindfulness and mental strength coach to college and professional athletes, CEOs, and corporate executives, and individuals looking for a new way of overcoming life's challenges and achieving exceptional results. He has authored two books about self-awareness and the power of personal creation. The first is called I Am, The Power of Discovering Who You Really Are, and the second is Time in a Bottle, Mastering the Experience of Life. Through his books, speeches, and private coaching, he presents Zen-style wisdom regarding how to harness more of the creative energy we each have within us that leads to new results. Welcome to the show, Howard Falco. My honor. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, man. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Shout out to Jackie Woodside. She was an amazing guest. We've stayed in touch and had so much wisdom, and she highly suggested that you come on the show and then I got to look at your work and what you're doing we're kind of kindred spirits in the peak mm-hmm. performance but spirituality and and human potential what we're what we're capable of and looking at your two book titles I'm like man I, I want to read those I want to know about that so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are your journey and all the things that you're up to cool yeah definitely a shout out to Jackie for the uh, connection really appreciate that Jackie's great love her so thanks Jackie um, so, wow, that's, uh, that's a lot to answer, but I'll, I'll kind of go through it with the short version and then we can go wherever you want to go with it all. Um, short story, um, is that about, uh, let's see, we're in 2019. So about 16 years ago, in 2000, late 2002, beginning of 2003, went through a sudden and dramatic, uh, natural shift of mind into what I call peak experiences that were separated by six months. First one kind of opened my eyes to the idea that the power to create the life that we want is inside of us. And the second thing that it did was that it opened my eyes to the idea that if you truly are looking for wisdom, insight, and information, life will bring it to you. So it's not a question of as if the answers are there for you. It's only a matter of if you are ready, willing, and open to receive those answers for the change that they're going to make in how you look at who you are and the world itself. But the answers are all there. So that blew my mind. And it led me on a quest for more insight and understanding once I knew how to receive it and open to it. And that led to a second experience about six months later, completely blew the doors off, um, where it took about a year to wrap my mind around what had happened and the insight and all of it that, that, was, uh, that, that I opened to, that, that was downloaded, whatever you want to call it. Um, the grace I received and, um, I decided to take it and I left my job in the finance business and decided to write about it and share the work, uh, with whoever was interested. So I wrote a manuscript, it got published. First book came out after the first book came out. I started working with individuals in every aspect of life from relationships to business, to the spiritual quest. And then athletes started calling and saying, Hey, I read your book. This is what happened to my performance. It was a perfect fit for me because I always wanted to take this insight and bring it to mainstream, whatever, you know, the mainstream audience. And so it was a perfect fit to work with athletes as well. And so I started working with, I worked in every sport, have and still do um, from major league baseball to the PGA tour to uh, division one college football. And then um, 
other sports as well, and have been doing that for the last 10 years, um, as well as teaching the deeper spirituality and the principles that I understood through this massive experience of self-awareness. So that's the short story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that's awesome. Well, I know that there's a big story with the, with the experience you had, and I think that it's a common thing now, and I think also that there is a lot of confusion around it. Some people will call it uh, many different terms. Some people will say ascension system uh, symptoms or awakening or things like that, but I've had them as well. And what it is for me, it was an experience that there's no words that are going to wrap around. But the important thing after whatever happens to you is the, the integration of how like it's, it took you a year to process and kind of move through. So maybe if you're interested, you could share a little bit about that experience because it sounds like it was a profound one. And then what were, how did you start to put the puzzle back together? Like what was your mindset like before it? And then what were the new understandings or beliefs or perceptions that you had to kind of integrate into this new way of navigating life? Wow. That's a fantastic question. Um, so the old mindset was one of not good enough, got to work harder, got to have more, do more, be more, just this nonstop rat race of this wheel that I was on. Um, you know, I married, I had two young kids home, you know, the general American dream I was on my path to, but it wasn't, I wasn't being satiated at the core. Um, I was happy with what I had, but not to the point where it brought me a level of peace. And that was very concerning. Plus I was in constant state of regret, or I should have done this, or I could have done this, or I would have done this. And also I had some big existential questions since I was a kid about the nature of life itself. First time I was able to see the stars in their full, um, in the full night sky or the moonless night sky, it blew my mind. And I thought, wow, someday I'd really like to figure that out. I mean, that's unbelievable that that canopy sits above our head every single night. And I wanted to understand the difference and reconcile why there was such disparity in the world between wealthy and poor and supposedly good luck and bad luck and what happened to people. So all that kind of came together in this intense moment of yearning for a new understanding of life, a new way to go through it. Um, I was basically begging life to, to, to show me more about how it worked from the, you know, in any way, shape or form. And that led me to that moment where sort of like the first domino fell over in my mind and knocked over another thousand dominoes in my mind of um, realizations and understandings about the nature of the core of existence, where it's coming from, how it works into each one of us, and how it leads to what we experience. When this happened, it's almost unspeakable. Every time I try and speak about it, the same thing happens. It's, there's a loss for words because the magnitude of it and the, the, the grace put me in such a place of humility, um, you know, because here I am, some dude in Scottsdale, Arizona, like, what, what do I do with this? Or am I even worthy of sharing it? Or do, you know, do I even want to lose the humility by sharing it? That was kind of a scary thing because I realized the doorway was humility, humbling myself, saying, I don't know, I'd like to know. And then you get grace with this amount of wisdom. So I realized once I, I asked the question, as I've said before on many interviews, where I said, um, how do I reconcile this idea of wanting to share this vast amount of insight, but wanting to keep the humility? And the answer came back like, well, bud, uh, guess what? Um, you don't have to worry about it because uh, 
the information's for everybody. You're not special. Don't worry about it. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, done. Now I can go share it everywhere because it doesn't matter. So I, I never feared losing the humility then after that. So I wrote the book and then I just followed the steps. And before I knew it, it was published by a major publisher and I was out speaking and teaching. Post me was in a state of awe on a daily basis at the majesty and divinity of life, even in its ugliness, which sometimes can for a moment be confusing and cause disharmony. But when I remember the perfection of life and how it's unfolding for each person in a divine order, that sometimes you get the message right away and sometimes it takes years and maybe sometimes it'll happen on transition. But the point is I became, I came to a state of full faith in the fact that there was, there is purpose to everything. And that was big. And that helped me just totally relax into a state of flow. And then mindfulness became the result state of very hyper aware state of mindfulness, which allowed me to go through life in a, in a very open and clear way with the, with intuition, just and then ramped up in a, in a huge way, which allows me to help people, individuals, or athletes get to where they want to go in a very quantum amount of time, very short amount of time. So that's the answer to that really, really cool question, Matt. <laughs> so um, I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, I followed you for sure. And I, and I love your answer. And you said it at the beginning as well, where you shared that you were really seeking and that the answers are out there, but you need to be open to receiving them. And what it reminded me of, I think it's Matthew 7, 7. It's like, ask and ask and it will ask be answered or knock and the, door, knock the door will open. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Something like that. And, you know, so it's this honest seeking. You know, it's like this, this actual, you know, if you're being honest, you know what I mean? It's, this is mm -hmm. honest yearning, this honest seeking. It's like the universe or nature or the world isn't trying to hold, withhold from you. Maybe no. you're going through this in some sort of process. So what I'd love to ask is, do you think it's necessary that we need to have, let's say a peak experience, a mystical experience, a, a profound experience? Because when I went into this world, which was at a very young age through martial arts and things like that, I would always read about these, you know, mystical experiences. And I was looking at, you know, things like how do I ascend my consciousness or have Christ consciousness or, you know, this enlightenment and enlightened to me, enlightenment at that time was like, I'm going to float around in, in the world. It's going to be a totally different consciousness that I'm experiencing now. And it's going to be all great all the time. And I'm going to be like some sort of universal mind tapped into something I couldn't even understand. Now, moving through life, I I've, I've think anyways, because I don't know, um, that it is very different than that. And I think that a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on that mystical experience, right? They're amazing, and you really want to have them, and they're humbling. And I don't think it's also 100% necessary. So what I wanted to ask is, do you think it's necessary to have that mystical experience to shift the perspective in those very profound and positive ways. And if it is not, how do you walk people from one perception to the other? And for me, like you, you spoke about is like that self-worth, that feeling good enough, that having your own answers, society seems to be um, really impressing, like the not good enough and second guessing yourself. And mm -hmm. so could you walk them through in a little bit of a process? Yep, absolutely. So first of all, um, 
it's interesting because I can't really answer that question because the mystical experience is a result of the awareness. So it's almost a hindrance to have some preconceived notion of a transcendent experience or the E word. I don't even use that word a lot. I don't think I used it even in the book. Uh, maybe one time the word enlightenment because it immediately gives you some idea or expectation of what you're supposed to experience, how you're supposed to feel, what it's going to be like. And my state of bliss experiencing that was a result of the relief and the expansion of awareness and the wisdom and the knowledge of that, you know, the big answers, you know, the, the bite lines you often hear, but knowing them to their core that life is eternal, love is all there is, we're all one, like not just saying that, but knowing that, that knowing is what produced a very ethereal high level of energy that felt like I was floating, that put me in an incredibly powerful state that, that where I saw energy coming off of everything and, and, and I had no preconceived notion of any of this. So I think that was to my advantage that um, I didn't even know about these states. I didn't know about Kundalini energy. I didn't, none of this. So naivety was, was a help. So I think to answer that question, what I would do to walk people through the process is say, if you're looking for relief of mind, because that's the ultimate goal maybe of these states that some people seek, the focus should be on what are the questions that you have? And not only what are the exact questions that you have, but how open are you, how courageous are you, how faithful are you to take in when the answer comes in and it runs completely contrary to anything you've ever experienced before? Because if you can let your guard down, you know, it was that, that yearning, and I was going to use the word guttural, that guttural yearning, you know, sort of like when they say like an, an alcoholic will hit rock bottom, that's when they change. Well, this was rock bottom from the standpoint of wanting knowledge and not knowing how it was going to go on. So that was where I was like, I have nothing to lose anymore, really. I didn't feel like I did. And that's what allowed me to allow this information to come in, which totally took away my identity for a brief period of time, which can be a very scary thing because we're all trying to hold on to our identity of who we are. That's what, give us, that's what gives us life. But um, it was this this ability to let go of that and trust that I would still exist until a new identity settled in of who I wanted to be with this wisdom. So I guess to walk people through would be a process of focus on the right questions, go into life, not judging anything from a conversation in a grocery store to the next song lyric you hear to um, a line in a movie that someone takes you to that you didn't want to go to. Those are where life, that's how life, what life uses. Life uses everything at its disposal to bring awareness. And what happened to me, I think, which caused it to be what I guess is termed a peak state, is that it wasn't one or two dominoes that fell over. It was a whole room full of them in my mind that cleared it out, that caused the rush into a whole different state of energy all at once, which then got quantified as a peak state. First one was like a small mountain. The second one was unspeakable. But that's the process. It's a process of constant self-awareness and the ability to trust life that when you take down what you believe to be true, you'll open yourself up 
to even a greater understanding. And you'll be able to carry some of it with you. You know, I thought about for a minute in that year, I thought about, you know, see ya, I'm going to go to the, I, I, I'm going to go to the top of the mountain or I'm just going to put a robe on and shave my head and disappear. And then I thought, why would I have to do that? Why not be able to take this insight? I enjoy life. I love my family. Why not be able to take it and bring it into life? Because a lot of times people go through these experiences and they, they stop at a certain state. So like not all, but so I'm not going to generalize, but transcendental meditation sometimes can be very addictive. And the state that it puts you in, because I've experienced it is, is powerful. And so people experience that they experience the oneness and that's it. They're going to, they're going to transcendental meditate every single day and almost deny life on the other end. My feeling is take the wisdom that comes from that state and bring it back into life. So that's sort of a long answer to your question, but that's the process. It's constant inquiry and a constant open-mindedness to, to being able to challenge some of your long-held beliefs. That's a wonderful answer, man. And, and there's so many points that I want to address in there. What it, one of the things that reminded me of Eckhart Tolle, is it Eckhart Tolle or Tolle? What do you say? I never know which one's right. I think it's Tolle. I got okay, yeah. to get right one of these times. I'll <laughs> listen to how Oprah says it, then I'll know. But I heard yeah. that his experience was like, you know, almost wanting to commit suicide or con contemplating it pretty intensely and saying, I can't live with myself anymore. Having that experience and then sitting on a park bench for a year, trying to figure out what the heck happened. So moving into the idea of, of your experience and however it happens, you know, I'm reminded again of Alan Watts who – uh, talks about Zen in so many profound ways. And one of the things he says it is, you know, it's indescribable. It's unknowable. You just have the experience. It's like a knife trying to cut itself to mm. try to put words to it. You know, it, it's not possible. Yeah. I like to say it's like a, a flat, you know, 2d square. And then you would see a 3d in visual form. You wouldn't be able to reference that. It's just like, it's something that's just so beyond words that you, you can't, you don't have words for it. So it's a very profound experience. And when you are moving through life with this new kind of experience, again, the, the, I'm, I'm referencing all the points to how you're saying it. It's like the 10 bulls is such a fantastic, I highly recommend people go onto Wikipedia or whatever, look up the, the 10 bulls story. And for the longest time, it was just eight bulls. And the idea is that it's this journey uh, through enlightenment, a very famous Zen uh, pictures and poems each step of the way is about this one person's journey to enlightenment at the end it it ended with this circle right basically enlightenment the all-knowing the unknowable the experience in which you're speaking of and uh you know and then that that was it but then i don't know if it was a couple hundred years later or whatever it was uh, another uh zen master added two additional poems and they got burnt for a while but eventually it ended up staying and the two additional poems were about now that you've had this peak experience you've you've changed these like uh, perceptions or identities or beliefs like being canadian growing up in the hometown that i grew up with my parents with my religious upbringing with all of those things that forms an identity and understanding of the world that may or may not be true and what happens is we form that from a young age and we hold on to that and we just try to find proof that that's real, but 99% of it is not real, you know, it's, and so you need to be open 
as you said, to the, to the new information, but that's why it's humbling because you now have nothing to grasp onto. It's something totally different. So once you have the experience, how do you walk into life again and participate fully in life, not grab the robes and, you know, go meditate on a mountain, which if you want to do that, all the power to you, take that information and integrate it fully into who you actually are without that identity or pieces of you that weren't quite complete with your understanding. Maybe it came from a cultural thing, maybe from where you uh, live, maybe your parents wanted you to be a certain way. So you, you are that way for a very long time, but you realize it's not really truly who you are. So it breaks down and, and allows you to experience life in a new way. So do you want to add on to that? That's what I wanted to say to your wonderful rant. Yeah, no, I just, the, the question is, how do you come back into life? What's cool about it is you don't realize how many beliefs restrict you from your fullest self and from a, a thought process that sees no limitation on what's possible. And when you come to this understanding of who you really are, um, which is the core of the, of the book, it, it, it shows you that there is no limit. So once you see no limit, you can, you can start to uh, project and dream in a real, more real way and then actually start to take action upon it. Whereas before it was just a fantasy because you didn't believe yourself worthy or you felt limited from experiencing it. So there's this whole new explosion of creativity that happens and you're, you're in a world where you see that you're the ultimate creator if you're willing to take in the insight, the information, learn, put the conditions together and endure the process. And it becomes a very exciting journey. Plus, when you see things happening, you no longer see things happening um, to you. You see that life is here to serve you, which is really mind-blowing. Like every moment's here in service of you and your creative expression. And that can be challenging until you come to this understanding. Because so many people have gone through so many dramas. And after talking with thousands of people, I've heard you know, everything. So... Um, that's why it's exciting to, to walk into this space because it's so liberating and, and the ripples, you know, this is truly how the world changes one, one consciousness at a time. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And so what I wanted to ask a little bit, I, it would be your, some of the, like the main principles of either your first book or second book and discovering like who we are, you've touched on it a little bit um, and moving into that, new perception of just being good enough. And I love how you said enduring the process because from what I've observed in the world and in my own life, it's when we connect to who we are and what inspires us, you know, inspiration to be in spirit, we're going to create a dream. We, we all of a sudden, we know that we're capable of anything, but we also realize it's not going to happen overnight. And when you connect to something that's so inspiring to you, you know it can happen and you know you're going to have to put effort towards it and there's going to be roadblocks. But if you have a, a vision and you have a direction, you might not know the absolute end result, but you have an inspiring direction, you can then go through the process of life and everything that it has to offer in pursuing that reality and pursuing that life experience that lights you up and you're going to learn so much along the way. And the challenge I think for many people is they're experiencing one view or cube or perception of what they believe is possible and also what they believe they need to be secure financially and all those other elements that doesn't allow them that, uh, that dreaming or creativity to really go into those deeper questions, which you mentioned at the beginning, which is a fundamental part is like, what are those deep questions? Who are you really? And so can you talk a little bit about your book and how you might move towards that understanding? And then how do we begin engaging that process? 
Well, remember, you have to be in a state where uh, you're tired enough of the way things are because the will has to be strong to overcome the fear and the ego of change. You know, the ego works for fear until it doesn't, until it works for the new will and what the new will wants. And so you really have to be ready for, for something different because it hasn't been working. If it's been working somewhat for you, that's not enough. It's got to be like, nope, I'm done. Uh, because you can't get sort of half pregnant on this. You know, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. You, you got to be all in. And so, um, so that's the first thing. Um, as far as the way that the book is laid out, it, it's a deep read. It's, it's not a difficult read. It's just from the experience I've, from, from I've gotten back from readers is that they'll read a page and then they'll meditate or think about that for a couple of days and they'll go back and read a few more pages, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a process of understanding who you are from the most fundamental thing we are, which is energy. So it starts with how energy and matter work and what that link is between the two, which is intent. And intent is demonstrated through us by an observer. So that's what demonstrated. The seed is self-evident in its intent. Its intent is to be a grapefruit tree. It gets the right conditions around it. It's going to become a grapefruit tree. But for human beings, our intent is demonstrated in our thoughts and our beliefs. So that's how, how the probabilities bend one way or another as it relates to how energy is going to turn into what matters in your life and what gets created as matter in your life. So the first segment of the book talks about that in, in deep detail and you know, all the way down to how you make matter, which uses an example from a football game where you have three people at a game and uh, it's the Giants and the Bears. And one person's a Giants fan, one person is a Bears fan, and one person doesn't care about football. And in the last 10 seconds, the Bears throw a touchdown pass to win the game. I'm from Chicago, so. Um, so the Bears fan, upon receiving that input and that stimuli, is immediately sent into a high-level state, positive state, positive emotions are being generated, positive energy is being generated. He's jumping up and down, he's screaming, he's happy. Giants fan is taking that stimuli in and benching it off, benchmarking it off of his values, beliefs, and, and thoughts, and it's turning into negative energy. And he's screaming and yelling and jumping, and, but in a downward motion rather than an upward motion. And the person that doesn't care about football took that stimuli in, didn't move, kept eating their chips, drinking their soda. Nothing happened. So it shows you how all information in the world is neutral until it runs through your mind, your beliefs, your perception, and turns into a reaction of some sort. So that alone in itself, that one example is powerful when you go and you apply it to the next thing you experience in life because it opens up this element of choice. You have a choice in how you're going to perceive and react to the next thing that you experience. And that alone can be very, very liberating. Uh, now, it, it takes practice because some of these things are automatically sort of like blinking. They're automatically instilled in us and they're just going to happen for, until you start to catch it and change it. But that's the, the nature of evolution and transformation. You start to catch things, you start to become more conscious of it, and that's how things change. So that's the first part of the book. It talks about energy and matter. And the second part talks about how our beliefs and the way that we were nurtured growing up affect and shape our identity and turns into how we see the world. And that, and that in turn 
turns into how our ego, this is how I define the ego. It's not something you fight or something that is an enemy of you at all. It's just the mechanism. I call it energy goes out, EGO. That takes what you believe to be true and works to protect, defend, and validate that. So if you believe you're uh, a good father, then at some point you have to, your ego's got to demonstrate that in some way that makes you feel gratified that that belief is real. So it shows how all our beliefs work that way on us and gives you sort of a, a great deal of awareness and exposure to how, you know, energy is flowing through you at different states, how it turns into the emotions, what the emotional system is for. I mean, I mean, I can take you through the chapters, but uh, but the point is, the idea behind all of it is to, un, to reveal the process of becoming through the core identity of I am and how that one statement, not what you think you are, but what you truly believe in here is what sends you on your way in life and what brings not only what you create and how your energy creates it, but also this is the real mind-blowing piece is that Life in its divinity and its intelligence knows what we believe to be true and is trying to help us to confirm it positively or negatively. It doesn't care. It's trying to serve us in what we believe is true. Now, I will say that in the negative, it is trying to reveal what is false through the process of suffering. Because through suffering, we question what has caused the suffering. And that brings more awareness. So it's always working to help us expand the nature of who we are to more of an understanding of, dare I say the word, um, of our perfection. So that's the journey, yeah. Amazing. You covered a lot of things that I definitely want to go deeper into. And at the end, I was saving this question, but I'll ask directly now because you just touched on it. Why do you think we experience so much suffering as individuals, whether it's depression, anxiety, not feeling good enough, and then the bigger picture of looking around and seeing a lot of suffering on the planet? What purpose do you think that is used for? One of the things personally that I find a challenge with is seeing, uh, you know, mass starvation and, and, and just global atrocities. Um, I would love to do something about it. I try when I have an opportunity to do something about it. And, uh, but, but sometimes it seems so heavy. So what have you come to the conclusion of and why do we have individual suffering and why does it seem like the world has such a, an intense suffering as well? Yeah. Another fantastic question. So let me take those in two parts. Individual suffering is, the reason we experience it is to help us expand our awareness. And the, the reason that this, how this happens is, is by a process of asking questions. So when the suffering gets intense enough, we tend to give up what we thought we knew in the hopes that we will find the true answer that relieves the suffering. But a lot of times the, the core of the suffering has come from what we weren't willing to let go of yet. So I, I love tangible examples. So uh, let's take a relationship example, okay? Um, someone's depressed because their significant other leaves them. And 
he's very upset because that was his whole life. And so he's depressed and suffering about it and doesn't understand why. So there's a lot of different things that could be part of that path of awareness. It could be knowledge on how to treat another human being, um, an awareness of how to carry yourself to maintain a connectivity and an attractiveness and an excitement so that that connection stays strong. Um, uh, breaking the spell of, of how you were raised and how your father may have talked to your mother and how you did the same thing, not knowing it out of pure ignorance, just, just not, not, um, not understanding. And that maybe you had to become aware of that. Wow. I didn't even realize I was doing that, but that's just how I thought it, how I thought you treat somebody else. And also this idea that you don't need somebody else to quote complete you, but you don't need somebody else to survive. If you want to create it, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's a, certainly an incredibly joyful part of life that we as human beings tend to, to gravitate towards for procreation reasons and for company and, and a whole bunch of other things because we're meant to be together. But life is also showing you that you have everything you need as you are. And once you realize that, you'll be in the best state to produce the best relationship with somebody else. Because if you're always in need, that's going to create pressure in the relationship. So there's just an example from a situation in a relationship why someone might suffer. There's a lot of awareness in that particular example that needed to come in in order to create what they had in their mind. And remember, it's always relational to that soul for their journey. And no one can know that but that soul. So you, Matt, only know it for your journey. I only know it for my journey. Uh, we can get an idea of why somebody's going through it, but we don't know it because we haven't been them for 3 billion years going through their incarnations or whatever it is, you know, their, as their consciousness has evolved into the being that it is now. So suffering to me is for the expansion of, the, of awareness. Um, but I would need more specific examples to... to and, and the other, there's another component of this, and this sort of leads to your second question is, why the, the massive stuff that's going on in the world, which was one of my big questions. Um, and that is that, you know, you said that you'd like to do something. I think you're doing something right now. I think all this work that you've done, almost 300 podcasts, you have no idea how you have impacted the world in a positive way. You have no idea how many lives have been touched for people that have watched, I don't know how many thousands of views of your podcast and how it's affected their lives and how the dominoes have fallen from thousands of individuals into their lives and the lives of other people. There's no way to calculate that. But I do know that you've already changed the world by what you're doing. So I'll offer that to you. Um, when you see something overseas, there's a lot of different, or, or anywhere in the world where they're suffering, there's a lot of different choices that can be made. Um, from the most active, which is to get involved, go over there, um, do what you can to start a mission, raise money, provide food, shelters, build water plants. You can do that kind of stuff. Or you can do like what you're doing right where you sit right now, which is increase awareness by bringing on as, what information you think would vibe with your community and help raise consciousness to bring us to more of a loving we-based mentality than an I-based mentality that um, runaway capitalism has created in the world. Uh, runaway capitalism, not general capitalism, runaway capitalism. Um, <clears throat> so, so my answer to that question is that it's always for the observer. 
So when I see that, I have a choice that I, when I see something horrible happen in the world, like uh, uh, let's just take a unfortunate, horrible topic of shootings, okay? I see that happen. I have a choice. I can move the needle in my soul to more of a level of fear and I can get trapped in the same consciousness that created that event with revenge and hatred and I can fall into that trap, which a lot of people do, unfortunately. But that's what it's designed to do. That level of consciousness is designed to suck people into it to hide it from its own self. Because light would be such a contrast to that, right? And it would expose it. So it's trying to draw people in to that web. So I go the other way. I see that happening. Obviously, a couple times it's buckled me at my knees when it's come across my phone for a moment. And I gather myself and I say, whatever I did yesterday to put out as much love and as much expression to the world of goodness and change people's hearts and minds, I'm doubling it today. That's how I've decided to define who I am in relation to an event such as that. And it goes the same way with, unless I'm going to get more actively involved or run for office or do something to create uh, change in that way. Um, but this is the path that, I've, that, that has found me and this is the path that I'm on. So I just double, double the efforts to put more love out there to, to throw balance into the mix to hopefully change it. But we can't know what it's for for the collection of individuals or people, but we know it for some way for us to learn. Who do we want to be as a humanity? is the question. How do we want to respond to that as, a, as an individual, as a, as a country, as a nation, and globally? Those are the important questions that come off of those experiences. Man, Howard, those are all really beautiful answers. And I really like the, your understanding or perception around suffering just to gain more awareness because even having the podcast and, and hearing some people going through absolutely horrible experiences, they'll often say that those horrible experiences, they wouldn't change because they gained a new insight. They gained something. And for whatever reason, they had to go through it to get to this new space. It doesn't make it okay or um, preferred, but a lot that's the feedback that I've got from a lot of people. And it does. And I like also how you framed it where we're the only individuals we know. We can't be walking other people's journeys and, and knowing what they're about and understanding that or knowing why, but they'll know why. And they're, they may have a completely different upbringing, different idea, different everything than you. And so if we can not judge other people and just let them have their own experiences and be supportive, if the opportunity arises, be compassionate, if the opportunity arises, um, you know, I'm reminded of this really amazing uh, video I saw once where this man had, uh, there was a, a guy somewhere in the States and he had murdered, you know, a bunch of women. And I think he did other terrible things to them as well. And uh, they finally caught him and it, and, and it was like five girls in the town or something. And uh, everyone had a chance after years convicted to say something to him, right? And so the first parents come up and it's like burn in hell, you know what I mean? All the worst stuff that could happen. Second parents, same thing. Third parents, same thing. Fourth parents, same thing, right? Because, uh, you know, rightfully so. Uh, the fifth person comes up and uh, it's an old man and he's crying. And he basically says, you know, I, I hope that no one ever has to go through this experience. Um, but, you know, it's my job to try and... Uh, forgive you. And he goes, so I forgive you. And uh, then the man who was stone faced the entire time, 
this murdering fellow, he goes into tears. And so the man who's the victim is in tears, that guy's in tears, and it's this very profound real moment, and there's a real, I don't know, profound experience. I don't know how to add other words to it, but it just shows that level of um, what's possible when you add light to it, you know, like that guy could do any number of things, and and maybe some of them are justifiable too, and you you wouldn't fault him for it, but to be able to get to that level is, is a real incredible capacity of, of what humans can do. Do you want to add something on that? Well, no, I was just thinking, as you said that, you know, um, uh, I wrote an article on one of the blog sites some years ago about the insanity of the death penalty and how that act in itself is, is so ironic, right? It's that we're trying to stop killing with killing. We're dropping to the same level of revenge and hatred that the perpetrator did. So in essence, being of the same consciousness that created it. And, you know, Einstein said this years ago, you can't change anything from the same level of consciousness that created it. You have to transcend it in order to change it. Um, and so uh, we have to demonstrate the intent for a different way of life, regardless of what the person did. They can live their life out in, you know, uh, behind bars, but it's more important that we demonstrate the intent that we choose to, who we choose to be in the world. As Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. Well, the death penalty is certainly counter to being the change you want to see in the world. It's just a complete plus. We lose the ability to learn anything from it. Like you said, that guy broke down. Well, that may have been the first time in his life that he ever did that because probably no one ever showed mercy in his life, which caused him to have so much self-hatred, which probably led to that in some, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, not that it's anyone's fault for it, but just understanding the process that gets someone into that level of of self-hatred. And then I wanted to go back to a comment when I was talking about this idea, when you mentioned suffering. Um, I, I believe that life does its best to get us awareness every single day. And what it does is it uses the least path of resistance for each soul based on their level of fear, faith, their level of resistance in what it takes to meet them with what their deepest intents and desires are. You know the old saying, be careful what you wish for, right? Well, when you, when you want something, life is going to respond. It's going to bring you the opportunity to learn. And at first it may be a soft knock. And if you keep asking the question, but don't answer the door, it's going to be a louder knock. Notice I said, keep asking the question. Because if you stop asking the question, the door will stop knocking. It just won't come anymore. But if you keep asking why, 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 and you don't listen, it's going to get louder. And eventually the door is going to break down. And finally, you'll be left with some event that underneath it is exactly what you were looking to understand. And I think that's what you mentioned earlier when you said some people said if that hadn't happened, I don't think it would have changed my life because I I didn't get it before. Um, So I think it's a really interesting process that life uses. Um, and And again, that's why I think that that the path of humility and openness and, you know, Life, show me what I can learn today. I'm open to receive, you know, is a very powerful mantra or prayer or statement because it puts you in a great place to, for that least path of resistance, which I think knowing this, if we all knew this, we'd all want it that way rather than the hard way, right? So that's what, you know, but, uh, but we're all on our own path. 
Yeah, that's a great example. I've given a similar analogy where I don't know if the point was the exact same, but it's like your life is almost on this rubber band and you have the path, what is congruent and least resistance and who you are and what inspires you and what's in alignment and all that fun stuff that is who you are. And if you start to go away from that, you know, you want to do art and music and create and you're going into, you know, whatever the polar opposite that may be. And uh, it's going to kind of stretch like a band and let you go and go and go and go. But life will only let you go so far until it'll explode that from the pressure and then just reset you. And then you have to then look at every single belief system that you hold because it's just crushed it. Your values were putting you a certain way. You're taking certain actions. Your beliefs, you know, brought you over here. And now all of that needs to be reconsidered because you're back at square one. So what are you going to begin to build now? And so I wanted to go into your idea on peak performance in the sense of how do we install the beliefs that we prefer if life is going to give us feedback and install those beliefs. So if you don't believe that you can be abundant, if you don't believe that you can be successful, if you don't believe that you can be a great athlete, I wanted to start with that. So how do we identify our limiting beliefs and then install the beliefs that we prefer and live our lives so we are uh, finding those experiences and actually being that, you know, when uh, one of my mentors, Michael Lozier, would wrote the book, The Law of Attraction, he'd say, you know, uh, he was overweight and he'd say, I am healthy and, you know, in shape, but I'd look in the mirror, then I wasn't. And it would make this, there was this, uh, what's contrast? Contrast. Yeah, it wasn't congruent. And so there was then now negative energy. So that affirmation was was actually doing harm. And so, you know, he had a process for getting into more congruent state. So I'm curious about that. And then I wanted that to lead into if you want to merge it in one shot, but human potential in general, because in history, we've been doing things over and over and over that we've said are impossible. The four minute mile, what people are doing on snowboards and skateboards these days is absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah. Athletes per performing it absolutely incredible levels, uh, high dive divers diving off 120 yeah. feet doing yeah. 10, putting in the highest risk. So you're working with these type of athletes that need to be at the highest level of consciousness, awareness, and performance. So I'm curious, the building blocks, it's same with the CEO and the strategist, because, you know, it's when I work with an athlete, you know, sometimes it's very specific, like one athlete was wanted to land one trick. It never been done before. Just taught them the basis process of visualization, make sure the beliefs were congruent, um, add those elements in, bam, three weeks later, he's single-minded and created that reality. Some awesome. visions are more vast. It's going to take more time. It's going to take more process uh, to get there like a business or a CEO, but the same principles are there. And yep. a lot of people are not using them at all. And that's why I love sport. And I know you love sport because it makes it immediate. You know where your belief systems are. You know where your practice and preparation are. You know where your focus is. You know where your ability to adapt are. You know all of these different yeah. things. But these mental tools must come into play. And somebody who is using the mental tools before the match or the experience is going to have a great advantage. So you need to catch up if you're not already there, if you're not into that you know, mm -hmm. mental preparedness as the Navy SEALs have put it or something like that. So that's long-winded. Um, and, uh, just curious your thoughts on, yeah, the beliefs and then scaling up to human potential because there's people like Wim Hof and the Shaolin monks who could, uh, break stone things that are unbelievable, but it's merging this, uh, non-local consciousness, chi life force energy with hard body, you know, practice, dedication, process, procedure for a long period of time to do something that most people perceive to be impossible. Right. 
So, okay, let me take all that in. <laughs> that just that, yeah, just question. throw, throw the barn door at you. I think that the most important thing is when working with anybody who's trying to achieve something, you said there's, there's athletes that don't believe they're worthy, whatever. What is the intent? What are you trying to accomplish? So start with the intent in mind. Then you can find out whether or not the beliefs that you hold are serving that intent or are working against it. Once you can measure it up to the, to the intent, then you can see the contrast as to whether or not it's worth it to hold the belief that you're not worthy. How does that help you achieve what you're trying to achieve in this game or in this sport or as an athlete? Well, it doesn't. All right. What is a belief you can begin to entertain to counter it? And is it even true? Because the ultimate truth is there are no limits to anything. We're seeing that. Go out and look at the night sky on a cloudless night and a moonless night somewhere away from the city lights. There's no end. There's no end to the universe. There's no end to space and time. There's no end to you and me. There's no end to creativity. That is the ultimate truth. And so when you start to open to that idea, it makes it much easier to start to begin to step towards that and trust that you're going to survive like you always have in that space and that your ego will work with boundary to keep you sensing yourself as you expand. Will it be uncomfortable for a while? Yeah, it's supposed to be because it's unknown and it's new, but it'll get comfortable really, really fast. So being uncomfortable is actually a good sign because it's showing you that you're stepping out into a new space. So then it's about building the beliefs that would support that result and finding out where your ego resists. Hey, do you feel worthy? Do you like who you are? Do you love who you are? Can't imagine how many people I talk to that shrink upon that idea. I mean, just physically shrink back on the idea. That's a good litmus test as to where you are in relationship to what you're trying to accomplish. Because how can you let joy come in and something wonderful come in when it doesn't match how you feel about your own self? So right there, there might be an impediment. Then you got to dig in as to why that lie has been there. What has sponsored that over time that you believe? And you have to dig through that, through self-awareness, and eventually make peace with it. But that's how the field of possibility expands. It's a function of you growing in your self-worth and your identity of who you are. The field expands. And then you can start working to step into more of that, trying new things, trusting new things, opening up to different information. Maybe you didn't want to use a teacher or a coach before uh, because you thought your swing was perfect and, and, and you were comfortable with that. But the reality is, are you where you want to be? No. All right. Well, maybe that's something you need to look at and get uncomfortable with for a little bit and trust the process rather than using fear-dominated thought that, oh, if I use a teacher, he's going to screw my swing up, I might not get it back. How about the other million possibilities, including if I bring a swing teacher in, you may show me something I never saw before, which could change everything in how I shape the shot and allow me to hit certain shots under certain conditions that I never hit before to get to the next level. So that's just an example like from the golf world, or it could be a hitter in baseball, same thing. But what I've noticed about high, the highest level athletes in the world is a couple things. They see things from a macro picture. So they see the ultimate end is not in doubt. And they pride themselves on being on the edge. They're okay with the edge because they know that's what got them to be great, was doing something that nobody did before or being willing to test that and not taking short-term um, things that they don't execute. I don't like to say failure. Short-term things that don't happen 
as anything related to their identity, but just a part of the process. So those are some of the things that I work on to help an athlete be more comfortable walking into that space because here they're sitting here with so much talent. And the only restrictor at this point when I come in is usually the mind. I'm not saying there's not work to be done. There's always work to be done constantly in sports. You constantly have to stay on that edge, um, whatever it is, because it's a very high level edge as it relates to its hyper awareness is what it is um, when they're in those states. So you constantly have to be, you know, right near it until the time you perform. And then you go to a state that you can't produce other than when the moment matters. Um, but everything's preparing you to get to that. So those are some of the things that, but I think the key thing is to start with what is your intent. And then you can start to measure whether or not the current beliefs or the current way you're working or the current things are working or not in getting that to be completed. And if you're already talking about it, the answer is no anyways, right? It's not happening yet. So um, those are some thoughts on that. I hope that helped in yeah. Yeah. Those are all great. And I love, I love what you're talking about being uncomfortable, you know, and why that's a positive thing. And when I work with athletes, it's a lot of time in the extreme sports world. And a lot of those, that growth period comes with danger. And so you're definitely uncomfortable. If you can do a backflip on a 10 foot jump or your first backflip, it's going to be scary and very uncomfortable because it's a frightening uh, idea to go upside down for most people. And then you go and you continue to progress. But each time you progress, you feel uncomfortable and, and afraid. And it requires courage and preparation and all these different types of things to go to that next level. But over time, you do gain the skills and confidence. But the way that you phrase it, I think is really important because in our daily lives, people, they really, they really get into this comfortable perspective of how they navigate life, how they live their life and stay within those boundaries. And that's why I really love David Goggins book because he's just like such a kick in the teeth for anybody around like, yeah, he's insane like easy way or whatever. He just is like, make yourself uncomfortable every day. And I've learned a lot from that and, and training yeah. with the, the Shaolin monks, like their training was so intense. I was punching and kicking a friggin' tree for a month. It was ridiculous. I didn't know why I was doing it, but those guys were tougher than me, you know, and could do these things that were absolutely outstanding. And uh, this winter, one of the things that I did, I, I kept looking at Wim Hof and seeing what he was going to do. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I really actually don't like cold very much and <laughs> I prefer to be warmer. And so I was like, when I get an opportunity, I'm going to do the hardest version of cold training that I can. And, and this winter I had the opportunity to do that in Nelson, British Columbia. And it was uh, a glacier fed lake and it got up. There was that cold snap, whatever it was, um, the polar vortex. Yeah. And I was out there doing it at that time. And I did it with no Wim Hof breathing, no preparation, no nothing. Because through martial arts, I've realized like putting myself in the fire, understanding my own awareness, my own dialogue with myself, my own sensing systems, you know, problem move. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm okay. Oh, this is very uncomfortable. Oh, I don't want to do this because it's too cold and I don't like it. And each time that I went in the water and I did this for a month and I did probably around 30 dips or something like that, maybe bit more. I don't really know. Um, but the more, each time I would do it, I would gain like an insight that was applicable to anything, but it was around David Goggins principle that he shares, which is like, do something uncomfortable every day. And you, when you do that uncomfortable thing, you're growing that muscle to do another uncomfortable thing. And it doesn't need to be cold training. It doesn't need to be something intense. It doesn't need to be punching a tree. It could just be doing 
anything that's outside your normal box, you know? Maybe every day you come home and have the same routine, go for a jog instead. Add one element that is not in the norm, and then I kind of see that and wrap it around like how the mind works. That when we get set in our neurology and our patterns and our habits and our ways of thinking and the language we use, it just becomes more rigid. And if we can just break that in any way, that's a positive thing. And using those elements to go uh, even deeper to push our capabilities and our boundaries and to pursue our dreams because our dreams may not be sports-based. They, they might not exactly. be performance-based. But if you want to start this business, you're going to be uncomfortable 10 ways from Sunday for you know making that first leap or making the first presentation or you know mm -hmm. telling your partner what your plan is or whatever the case is it's going to require that kind of uh, mental toughness or that ability to that like callous shell you know what i mean want to speak mm -hmm. on that exactly no yeah uh, i think yeah i i think uh on that line of thinking the idea behind getting uncomfortable is to demonstrate yourself the idea because the biggest fear everybody has is survival and what is not known is perceived as non-existence. If for some reason I don't know how to deal with that, I'm not gonna be able to exist. And so by doing one thing every day that challenges that, it expands what you believe is possible and, and your idea, your, your sense of, of, of life and, and the fact that you're gonna survive and you're gonna exist. And if you do something different, it, it may work out, it may not, but you're still gonna be okay. And that allows you into this spirit of trying new things and, and a greater state of uh, of expansiveness in a faster experience of time, which is actually the second book is all about how time works in relationship to our life. And it's, and it's relational to our awareness. So time stretches through ignorance and it collapses through awareness, but that's a process of getting to a higher state of awareness with knowing that you can try new things and survive and get through it. Now Goggins is on the extreme end in the world from the standpoint of someone who defines himself through the most extreme pain possible that he can push his body through and show that he can survive. Um, so he's on definitely the extreme end, but it's a great example for everybody to, for people that are interested in that kind of thing to look at it and say, wow, well, if he can do that, you know, I can get through this four mile run without any problem. And it's funny because after reading his book, there were several times I'd been on a run and I'm like, well, this guy can run 120 miles in a weekend, you know, I can certainly get to mile four without, you know, huffing and puffing. So let's get it going, Falco, you know? So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's had a positive effect there. But I think it's a, it's a great inspiration. But again, it comes down to, like, you're talking about the monks doing all sorts of incredible tough things. That's how they define who they are. So it just depends on how you want to define who you are. And if it's being the best in the world or being at a high level, whether you want to be a singer, whether you want to start a business, whether you want to be a great athlete, it's about allowing yourself into the process, being willing to, quote, fail short term, not take it personally, but take the wisdom out of the experience to go at it even harder the next time, armed with more awareness so that you're able to operate more efficiently and easier. Because the only way through is through, right? <laughs> it's, just, it's the only way. You can't get around it. And, you know, I often tell there's no shortcuts in life. And this social media world, we see a lot of finished product that's uh, posted to us on a daily basis. And everybody wants, oh, I want to be that, or I want that house, or I want that car, or I want to live like that, or I want to go to that event. And they don't realize that a good portion of it may not be real. And the portion that is real, the backstory on it, you probably don't want to see it. 
because when you do see it, you're going to be shocked at the amount of work that went into it and when it started. You know, I, I've been on this journey 15, 16 years, and I'm just getting started. So, you, you know, it's it, when you're trying to do something single-pointed, and that's one of the things I respect so much about high-level athletes in the world, if people could see the amount of intensity and work and thought process and sleepless nights that go into being the best, whether you're people in Major League Baseball I've worked on, the PGA Tour, um, the NFL, college football, it is relentless. It's the relentless pursuit of perfection. And it goes the same thing in the entertainment industry um, and in running a business and the risks that need to be taken there. So, but that in itself, that awareness in itself can help settle you into the process versus getting antsy in the process or impatient in the process or um, trying to cut corners. You know, this brings up something else that's on my mind is this whole thing with this, the last five years, maybe started by the guy who wrote the four hour work week, um, Tim Ferriss, this idea of hacks is, I mean, I'm not saying that some of it isn't, doesn't have some value, but boy, I can't imagine some people and the frustration they've run into, you know, looking at some of these hacks that aren't really hacks because again, there really aren't any shortcuts. There's way more efficient ways of doing things, but that comes over time as you learn to hone your craft. Um, so I think it's promoted a, a sort of a, um, a generation of, people looking for things quick and short term and I can make this amount of money really quick and I don't have to work and it doesn't work like that. Uh, doesn't mean it can't get faster and it can't get more efficient. So I don't want to say that. Maybe that's what hacking really is. But sometimes I've seen some stuff that has been just, it's been unfortunate what they've been putting out there. Um, thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, yeah, man. Well, I, I totally agree. And again, you touched on a lot of really important things. I really loved where you said, allow yourself to fail because that's a, a part of the process and and engaging in that process once you define who you want to be whatever that is you start to engage in the process and if you are doing that there is inevitable failure there's going to be failure every single step of the way and i think it's super powerful and important for people to redefine how they see failure it's part of the learning process you you must fail it is well, absolutely a guarantee if you're trying you know what i mean it's a part yeah. of it and it's the way life uses to provide you awareness that's the least path of resistance because if you had all the awareness and conditions, it would be a success. So there is a condition or an understanding that has not yet been met yet. Once all the pieces are there, once all the conditions are there, boom, you get the grapefruit tree. And you know, not only, I should, I should even differentiate that further. The grapefruit tree, you plant the seed, the conditions have to come around it. You get the soil, you get the water, you get the sunlight, it starts to grow. Then it's got to find its way through the dark in the beginning, it has no clue what it's doing. It's just putting roots down and trying to find light. Finally, it breaks into light. And then the first thing that happens is get hits by the elements the minute it gets up there. And it's got to weather storms and gain a stout um, trunk and grow further. And then some branches fall off and it's got to regrow them. And then it may not have a crop the first year, but by the third year, it's producing fruit. But there was a long journey between the seed and that portion. And that's what a lot of times starting whatever it is that you're doing in your life can be like, whether, again, whether it's a relationship, trying to find lasting love, or whether it's um, uh, peace in your home, or whether it's a business, or, or whether it's being an athlete. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I really love how you you brought up the hacks because hacking and and biohacking and the quick fix. You're like there is no shortcut, and there definitely is no shortcut. I've spent my life, you know, not that long on the planet, only thirty five years, but a long time really looking for the hacks, looking for the shortcuts. Shortcuts. There are better ways, like you said, but the fastest way to learn anything is to do it, then fail, get feedback, and repeat. And you're going to learn your own way and those quote unquote hacks or easier ways or better procedures are going to find through the process. Like as you try and try and try with that vigor, with that effort and the amount of work that goes in to anything, business, athletics is astounding. And if you want to be a high achiever in anything, it's going to take a great amount of work. And this is where I think the distinction for people is very important because there is so much in 10x in achieving your highest potential. Flow state is another one I'm going to get into in a second um, around the hacking thing. Um, but we we want this like uh, car or mansion or to be the best basketball player, whatever the case is, right? But the thing is, we don't have that internal drive 90% of the time. It's like, oh, I want the car. So that's your motivation. So you do this business or you do this job or you do this thing. And then it peters out and it explodes because there's no meaning behind it. That thing that you want to be great at, it has to be who you are. Then you're going to want to put in the effort. You're going to overcome those failures. You're going to do all the things that are necessary to become who you are because that's your growth. That's you becoming the flower, weathering the storms and doing all that stuff. But if you're doing a pretend flower, which is like an ego thing and you just want like, you know, the cars for the whatever the case is, is eventually going to explode in your world because there's no meaning behind it. There's right. gonna, it's going to leave you unfulfilled and you're eventually going to get to that spot where everything explodes. You're going to challenge all your beliefs because you feel empty and you're like, this sucks. Why do I have all these things? And I right. feel empty. I got to re I got to revisit this. And, but that's also part of the process of contrast of learning what it is you do love by going through the things that you don't. Yes. Right. And, and trying different things. And then you realize, you know what? I thought it was all that to have all these cars. I don't really like it. Or I thought I loved to do this type of exercise and that that was the answer, but that's not it. But it led me to what I do love because this is the right combination for me over here. I didn't like working out or running and you know, I didn't like um, some other form of exercise, but I love kickboxing. That's what I love to do. And that's with music. And that's the combination I found that works for me. Um, I remember the line that, uh, 1950s or 60s motivational guy said once it might have been Zig Ziglar I can't remember um, I think it was him to credit him for this but this is a line that can change somebody's life when it comes to trying to achieve what you want or trying to achieve your dreams and especially for this perfectionist society that we live in or have tended to live in recently and that is the statement you don't have to get it right you just have to get it going and I think that is sort of a release into action, right? You don't have to get it right. You just have to get it going. And so I really like that. And because uh, I think that intention demonstrated leads you to the right people, leads you to the awareness, and leads you to the right questions. But until you actually enter the process, life can't verify that what you believe to be true is true because you're not moving. Once you start moving towards it, then life says, okay. There's some faith. Now we can, grad, we can, we can um, so-called reward that faith. Here's some insight. Here's some people. Go again. Oh, that's more faith. Here's some more people. Here's some more insight. Here's some results. 
Oh, more faith, you know? So faith works and shifts the probabilities towards what you're trying to experience. Whereas fear does the opposite. Fear creates more time in the process. So anyway, there's some thoughts on that. that uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely agree with that. And I think like the main point that you're sharing is just the importance of taking action. Because, you know, with the, you know, the people looking for just success and things like that, they get to the top of the mountain, and then they realize, okay, maybe this wasn't it, but they were taking action the whole time on something that they knew. And it's not a right or wrong thing. They just had that experience. And then that's why there's so many midlife crises or all those different things, because they're then changing the scope and you can't judge their experience for what they're doing. You can only be um, focused on your own experience and to keep it a little bit more congruent in, if you want to go in the faster track, what I've at least learned from talking to a lot of experts and, and listening is like, you can do the day-to-day -day job that's going to take care of the security and even give you the BMW and even have the financial success. You just got to weave that in with a little bit of authenticity on who you are. What do you like to do? Don't, don't, don't throw everything out. Uh, you know, the baby with the bathwater, if you're going to go do the one side of the coin, just keep congruent who you are, like a little bit of effort in, um, let's say golfing golfing or doing a little creativity or, or having those pieces together because that consistency over time is going to continually shape who you are, your life experience, and make that journey a little bit more pleasurable because I don't think you necessarily need to have a challenging experience, but it's definitely a way that a lot of people go. They have a very challenging experience, but I don't think it's 100% necessary. And the one thing that I want to touch on as far as the biohack thing was the uh, flow state because that's become popular in the last few years. And, um, you know, everyone's like, oh, we hacked the flow state, this and that. What I've realized and believe from, from the studies that I've done is that it's a byproduct of a lot of hard work and effort that comes as a result from everything that you're piecing together and then the flow state happens. There are things you can do to increase the probability, but it does come from a lot of hard work like a, a UFC fighter going into the cage and entering flow state. Well, there's a ton of work that goes before that even becomes a possibility. So just the idea of that we can hack all these different things, but forget about the process, the procedure, the training and everything that goes into it to create that experience. So basically, I mean, I can, I can distill it down to one word where flow state comes from, and it's another F word, and that's faith. Faith equals the flow state. So once you have faith in everything that you've worked for and everything that you've done, to let go of any concern of the outcome, to let go of anything that occurred in the past, is to put you right into the present moment where you can allow everything you've worked for to come together in that moment. And that in itself will create flow state, I guess, is what the definition of flow state is. It's just you're just in the moment doing what you do, being who you are, and trusting the entire outcome the whole way. And there's been great examples of athletes that have been able to do that consistently. One of the greatest I can think of um, from an athletic standpoint is Muhammad Ali and his ability outside the ring to have all the fun and do all the antics and everything that he was doing. But once he stepped in the ring, he was in complete command and control and complete faith. And he did joke sometimes in the ring, but always knew what he was doing within the joking of it and within the, the, the antics of it. 
And when he needed to be serious and when he needed to be focused, he trusted his instincts. And it's amazing even today to look at some of that old footage and slow it down to see just how fast he was and how, how ahead of time he was when it came to seeing punches and re reacting and responding. But anyways, that was just an example of someone I could think of in, in, in flow state. Um, there's been a lot of current athletes that thrive in that moment. And it, it's, you know, whether it's Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan or where they're just so at the moment that defines them that there's nothing, everything else fades away. And it's just sort of a pure beingness that just explodes off of them in the moments that everyone else or a lot of 99.9% .9 would fear. They embraced that defined them. The last shot, you know, of a game or, um, you know, a very difficult situation to win a golf tournament where you had to hit it 200 yards, you know, out of a bunker over water, you know, something like that. I was there for that shot. Were you really in Canada? Yeah. yeah. You were at the, did you see it? Yeah. That's I incredible. Saw, well, That's like, supposedly was, one of the greatest shots ever hit in golf. I was considering swimming in the pond, but I knew I'd get kicked out. To get the ball? Well, no, just to go across to get a better view because there's oh, so many yeah. damn people. <laughs> yeah, you would have got kicked out. <laughs> I'm thinking the ball. The ball landed on the green. What am I talking about? Wow, yeah. that's considered one of the greatest shots ever hit. Yeah, it was unbelievable. From, yeah. We could only see through the crowd where he was. My buddy is like, he's in the bunker, and we're like, he's fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you know well, that's what most people would think. Yeah. But, and the fact that he even attempted that shot where the pin was and how it covered that much water and, you know, was really – yeah, on the eighth hole, right. But he, that was in his peak years of belief and expression of not fearing anything, being open to any possibility, and then demonstrating that in the world of golf. And I think it's what, why so many people are still fans, because that moment gives hope to new possibilities. Or like, you know, I've seen a lot of documentaries recently on the moon landing and uh, just how they did it and that there were over 400,000 people that were involved in the process with some, from when Kennedy said, we're going to go to the moon and put a man on the moon and just the whole process of getting there. But those three astronauts that did it, there's such a um, admiration for them being at the riskiest point of the expansion of human possibility that they go down in, in lore of, uh, you know, in, 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 in the annals of history of, um, of greatness because they helped change things. It's like, it reminds me of that uh, Apple commercial with uh, Richard Dreyfuss doing the narration. You know, the, here's to the crazy ones, the artists, the, the ones that, that did something different. Um, it's a famous Apple commercial. It's really great. Um, but it's because they stretch the possibilities and they show what's possible of the human spirit. And I think that's what's so exciting about the process of self-awareness is that it helps release one into that hopeful, optimistic state, whether it's about the state of our messed up situation in the country right now, whether it's the world, whether it's whatever it is, the fact that you can bring hope into that situation through an understanding of the power of creation and your relationship to it as a creator yourself and a sense of worth that you find in yourself, well, there's nothing more beautiful than that, and I think nothing more life-changing. Very beautifully put, man. And I think your, your 
ideas on flow state are some of the most sound and wonderful that I have ever heard. And I read a lot on that. So oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, really. I love the way that you, you put that together. Awesome. Um, man, this has been a treat. You're, you're definitely a, a one of a kind, a gem. I'm so grateful oh, that man. Jackie put us in touch and, and I love your work and I'm excited to read your books and to dive deeper in your work. And I'm glad that you're out there kicking, doing your thing. Um, is there Thank anything you that much. you wish that I had asked or that you want to talk about before we close it up and feel free to uh, elaborate as long as you wish? The only thing that, that I'd like to say in closing, we've talked about so much. And first of all, Matt, thank you for what you do. And thank you for the honor of having me on your show and sharing this work. Um, if anybody wants more information on, on either, they can just look me up, Google Howard Falco and my books on Amazon, and you'll find both I Am and Time in a Bottle for further reference on all this work. Um, or my websites, uh, which is just my name, howardfalco.com, um, and the sports website, totalmindsports.com. But the one thing I do want to leave you with is this, is this simple idea, which is just to remember that when you're thinking or dreaming of doing anything in your life, there's a couple things to ask yourself. One, who is more worthy than you of achieving it? And if anybody else comes to mind, just know that that is a false thought because any limit on who you are is a lie. You were born with the same birthright and the same ability to achieve, to experience, and to create anything that you possibly, anything that you can within the system that you're working with. Like I'm not going to be an NBA player at 50 years old, 50 plus years old, right? But there's a million other things that I can do if I put my heart into it, my belief system into it. I'm willing to endure the process of awareness and understanding. So never give up on the idea of what you want to create. And as long as you're open and honest with yourself about the process, and you, you keep working to see more of the possibilities in your own self, you're home free. Amazing, man. Well, I appreciate you and thank you for the kind words. I, I appreciate them. And I invite everybody to check out your books, your website, your work, support Howard and what he's doing. And there is a massive uh, ability to influence positively kids and people through sport, through understanding sport and, and what it takes to be a good athlete and the camaraderie and all the goodness that can go into sport and to learn about ourselves. So, you know, the more parents and the more coaches and the more people who learn about your work and about what you do and, and really using sport for what it's what it, what it has the potential to be, be yeah. can really um, do a massive positive influence. So thanks for your work and oh, everything you're honor. doing. It was a, a pleasure to have you on the show. Same here, Matt. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for coming, man. We'll see everybody later. Peace.